Previously on the Tony Kornheiser Show. This guy can coach. So what happened? He got fired. He got fired by Dan Snyder. And why did he get fired by Dan Snyder? I have been told this many, many years ago, and I have no reason to doubt it. Dan Snyder had a partner then named Fred Drasner. And Fred Drasner didn't like the fact that Marty said, you can't ride up to practice in your motorcycle and stand here. I don't have, I don't have guys like you here. I don't have owners here. I don't have this. This is my practice. Get out. And Draxter said, really? Okay, you get out. <laughs> the Tony Kornheiser Show is on now. All right. Um, Michael is here, six feet, one inches away on Uncle Benny's table. We're going to do this show. Brian Windhorst will join us later. Tori and Jeannie will join us for a news segment. I got a lovely card the other day. Card came to the house. It says, to get this valentine for you, I had to leave the house and interact with other humans. Now, who would send you a valentine? And inside it says you're one of the few people who's worth all that. You and the entire gang, that is. Thanks for keeping, you know, me entertained and sane. Steve the Sycophant. Isn't that nice? What a nice note. It's a very, very nice thing. Very nice thing. Um, what did I want to talk about? I wanted to talk about a story. I, I, I subscribe online to the New York Times and their sort of digest of the day and their coronavirus story of the day. I read that Just every the digest, day. Or, or do you pay full freight for the entire newspaper? I do not. Just the digest, but which gives me access to a lot of the stories that form the spine of the digest if I want to read them. But as you know, I no longer read. I just read small little things. And one, one of the things that it talks about today is COVID absolutism. This is a phrase I had not heard before. Oh, is that a new vaccine? No, no. That is, that is... I would take that one. That is a philosophy that says it's not enough to defeat this virus. You have to kill it so it never comes back again. And the way you do that, according to the absolutists, the way you do that is to double and triple and quadruple your efforts in the areas that we have seen. Um, for example, no outdoor exercise. No, no, no. Don't, don't even leave your house. Don't do any of these things because it can be transmitted. Even though the overwhelming amount, percentage of experts say it cannot be transmitted in this particular way, what they are saying is they put their right hand out and they go, stop in the name of love. They go, no. We're not going to take any chances at all. We're not going to take a single chance. This is what we're going to do. So I read about that with a certain interest, and it reminded me, for example, that at the beginning of all of this, Dr. Anthony Fauci and others said masks won't help. They don't mean anything. And, you know, don't worry about it. And now they're saying two masks. Not just one mask. So that means by fitting masks, by yes. July it'll be three masks. It'll, it's like three dog well, night. I've not read the piece that you're mentioning, but it sounds it's beginning to sound like a very modest proposal. Exactly. That's exactly right. That's Jonathan Swift. <laughs> yes. 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 Right. That's, yeah. That's exactly right. So I mean, you 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 want to follow it. I know when it started. When it started, there was. No masks were necessary, but if somebody... You were lie-selling your groceries. Yes, if somebody sent you a box, you had to keep it outside Secure. for 48 hours. You know, and then, and then as time goes on and you see what happens, the, the understanding of the virus changes and mutates in the way that the virus itself mutates. This is before the UK strain 
or the South African strain or the Brazilian strain or the whatever strain is out there. Um, and, and so there's new protocols. And, and I do I do agree completely that you're following the science. But this is this is the 24-hour at Le Mans, for those of you who have seen Ford versus Ferrari, a wonderful movie. This is the 24-hour at Le Mans. You know, it's not... It's it it's ongoing. It's ongoing and it changes. And the amount of sunlight changes how you drive, and the amount of gas you've got changes how you drive. It's always changing. It just it interests me so much. I mean, you just you hope and pray that everybody stays safe and isolation seems to be smart and social distancing seems to be smart and masking seems to be smart and those people who don't agree with this seem to be fools. They seem to be fools. But, you know, COVID absolutism, you know, even even I looked at it and went, really, you have to do that. So well, it's it, it is dangerous because the line continues to shift as to what we know. So when you say seems to be or appears to be safe, we're, we're operating with the, the best info, the best intel in that, that moment, we have right now. And, and you see how moment. the idea of social distancing changes as to what is actually a safe distance because six feet is not a safe distance. That's just if you can get to that number, you're doing, you know, you're doing your part and we hope it's okay in terms of what amount of time with somebody is a high risk level of exposure. And so you talk about this piece. I'm beginning to, as we look at more and more of a certain population in all of our communities, no matter how, no matter how slow the roll it is, getting to the vaccinated, getting to full inoculation. You start looking at, say, my gender or my age group, rightfully so. I have months and months ahead of me. How is that going to start to change behaviors in all of our communities as people say, I've done my time. Now I'm going out. Well, we talked about this many months ago when Wilbon said that's what it was in Arizona. He said, you know, that's it. We're done here. Right. You we saw did this, this for an hour. Yeah, now we're stopping. Fourth of July. Right. You see it at the Super Bowl. You see these dopes in, in Tampa and the way that they behave. So that is that is a question that comes up every single day for a certain group of people. And that group of people changes every single day, the ones that finally say, I'm done. Um, so you hope that uh, you hope that they get to the vaccines. If the Johnson & Johnson vaccine comes online, which is easier to produce, and it's only a one-shot, uh, the stuff I'm reading indicates that there's an optimism about more and more and more and more people getting a vaccine by even March or April you know, many, many millions more. Anyway, so I got a nice note the other day. Uh, Sean Reese sent me a nice note. He, you know, went on my street uh, where I grew up in Lynbrook and took a picture of my house. I'll show it to you later, Michael. Took a picture of what the house looks like now and took a picture of the of the small little stores in the neighborhood because I'd been talking to him and he listens all the time and, and I totally value his input. And one of the things he said is, I love your never-ending question for free stuff. No, your never-ending quest for free stuff. It is a quest. And so I, I, I will explain Don it Quixote. just simply by saying it seems like fun to me. But I don't, I don't want to take anything grand. You know, I don't, I, that's not what it's about, taking things that are grand. For example, the other day I ordered wine from the Malamud Valley and, you know, paid a whole bunch of money. And, and I, I ordered those chinos and paid a whole bunch of money and T-shirts, and, and I did all the that. The lake wash. The lake wash ones, yeah. You're not going to get the regular. No, 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 no. I, I, I upgraded. But We're I going to order those money. caramels for you. Yeah, so, well, that the caramels are great that, that Garcia sent us. But as it turns out, a bunch of things come today that have to do with free stuff, and I thought I'd open the show with free stuff. This is from Brandon Hibbs. Dear Tony, long time, first time, loyal little. I'm a club builder with SICK, S-I-K. Is it S-I-K or SIK? 
How's it pronounced? I, I believe it's sick. sick. Would sick golf. It's, it's all capitals, S-I-K. It stands yes. for something. For the last nine months and before that, I was a caddy at Bandon Dunes for 14 years. So please let me help you plan your first trip there whenever you decide to go. I know the caddies you should use, the order you should play the courses, and much more. Even the wineries to go to and how to travel to Bandon, but I digress. That alone would be enough. That alone, that paragraph would be enough. It's totally titillating paragraph. But here's the next thing. With all the free stuff you've been getting lately, I figured I would try to update. I would try and update Michael's and your golf bags with some custom-built putters from Sick Golf. Our descending loft technology is no joke. We do not pay a single tour pro to roll our flat stick and had four wins with three different players last year alone, not too shabby. Your U.S. Open champion. Dustin Johnson, right? No, no, oh, no, no. No, Brandon did. No, no. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Bryson DeChambeau. Bryson DeChambeau. He was the first early adopter for them. Yeah, not too shabby. We would love to become the official putter of the Tony Kornheiser show. Now, what do I say to that? What, what's so great about this? <laughs> You're the this, golf guy. What do I say to that? This is such a boutique <laughs> company for that you. is growing. So the, the, the descending loft, the top line is going to start at four degrees. Yeah. And then it's going to go three, three two, two, one. I think two is what they would, the standard uh, sort of number would be. But for example, you're playing Pebble Beach right now. Historically, you'd have a lot of pros add loft as they're trying to get their golf ball out of the depressions that naturally occur on these greens that happen seaside as the Poe tries to, you know, sort of struggles to to adopt during the day. So. People are buzzing in. They're going, what? What? No, no, what is he talking about? Better. The Poe? My, mo- my mother-in-law gets a full club fitting, which I've been trying to get her to do for, I don't know, 10 years now. And she comes back with this satisfied, smug smile that says, you won't believe what putter they put me in. It was a sick putter. Is that and right? And she's like, I know Michael's going to want to take this out of my bag. Well, you can get your own. Now. So over the holidays, she came to go putting with me and, and the bootster. Both of them took a nap in the car. So she was watching the boy. I then snuck out to the putting green with the sick and putter. rolled a few with her fancy putter. Did you like it? <laughs> it, it, I, it was a beautiful roll. Now, the tough thing is there's a lot of specs to consider. Toe hang, oh, grip God. choices. Anyway, we move on. Well, we're happy with that. <laughs> Hi, Mr. Tony. This is from, this is the guy who sent the watercolor. This is okay. the guy, George Mallet, who sent the watercolor. Um, he says, Hi, Tony. Just want to tell you right up. It was extremely gratifying for this watercolor as to hear how much you enjoy the little doodle I sent. I would be honored to paint a larger Rehoboth seascape for you. And I'm adding parenthetically, paint that. Paint that. That exact thing. That's great. Now I go back to the letter. The Delaware coastline is one of my favorite places in the world. I learned to catch sharks at Broadkill Beach and grew up eating King's ice cream in Milton. The woman to whom I plan to be related by marriage and I expect to marry on the beach sometime after things get a little less weird. If you have any thoughts about how large a rendering you would enjoy, have somebody shoot me an email. My favorite frame shop here in Rochester closed recently, so I will defer to you and FrameBridge. Sure, because you would use the code. Of course, we would. On how it should be matted and framed. Seriously, it so completely made my morning to hear you reading my card as I was starting my day on the elliptical trainer. So can we go know, back to the shark catching? Yeah, shark yeah, catching more about broad that. kill beach. You know. <laughs> exactly. On a side note, George writes, my young colleagues were all amused when you mentioned the possibility that I might be retired. While I do still cling desperately to my antique AOL account, as do I. My only son is just eight years old. He plays hockey and rides bulls on the radio. So I expect to keep chasing news stories while also sending cards to the people I admire for a long time. Then he sent a link to when Joe Biden called his mom on her birthday. And we'll be able, Michael and I will be able to play that later. But, you know, one of the things I said was I, I sort of wish there was a way that everybody could see the card. Everybody could see the small little watercolor they did because it was really, really good. Here's another one. Robert A. 
McGoodwin, okay, who writes, and this is, it's actually written to Nigel. It took a while, but I finally received the Delta Belt Tony Kornheiser collection from Binghamton <laughs> University. Two right. designs, pen, two designs. And for good measure, I had two designs created from Mike Wilbon's alma mater, Northwestern University. Also, each belt design has a companion pocket square. I thought Tony might like to give them to Mike as a gift. Sure. The box is going out to you today, to your D.C. address. We very much appreciate all your help. We did small, medium, large, and extra large in each design, and I've included two of each. Please feel free to give any extras to family and friends. Thanks again and stay safe. Give Tony our best regards. Rob McGoodwin. You know, it's it's a bounty of riches. I mean, people send these things. Is this? I don't know. What am I supposed 20, to say? Twenty eight years now. What am I supposed? I mean, I understand. <laughs> that, I understand bagels, but yeah, you're getting belts. I water went out bonus? there. I went out there deliberately. Uh, you know, swipe the card, man. Yeah, I went out there deliberately <laughs> on Skechers because we were saying happy birthday to Howie Long, and now paydays show up and everything shows up. I don't. I don't really know what to do. Here's another one. I think you're you are truly ready to be an Instagram influencer. I don't want to be on Instagram. From well, you Catherine, don't want to be on Instagram. Catherine Voorhees. I don't. Me personally, okay, just... I want to put stuff out. I don't want to say a thing. Hello, Mr. Tony. You do not need to read this email on the air. I'm sending you it as information for life that admittedly not every listener will find of interest. Well, we'll be the judge of that. I've been an everyday listener for close to 15 years, faithfully following you as you have peripatetically moved your show and now podcast. I thank you for these wonderful years of laughter and thoughtful analysis on a wide array, hard to say, wide array of topics, wide array, Russell Westbrook. I was <laughs> thrilled to hear of your acquisition of an Aran Island sweater. I own several along with scarves and snoods. Yes, snoods. One sweater bought on one of the islands themselves. I have visited all three Aran Islands, and from one old English major to another, I wanted to share with you the fact that it was on the middle island, Enis Mayen, I hope I pronounce Mayen, Mayen, I don't know, where the great Irish playwright J.M. Singh wrote his play Riders to the Sea, which I hope you and Michael have read, but if not, I invite you to do so. It is an easy, while depressing, read a one-act play that is a masterpiece, encouraged by Singh's mentor, W.B. Yeats, telling Singh to return to his native roots and write there. The drama takes place on Innes, Maine, and the title of the play refers to the fact that since the ground is mostly unstable to produce crops, inhabitants had to ride horses to the edge of the cliffs of the island for transport to the Irish mainland for money, a treacherous and dangerous job. Aaron's sweaters have special stitches that were used by wives and mothers who made them so drowned men could be identified once they washed up on the rocky coastlines. Each stitch has a special symbolic meaning, too many to list here. The three Aran Islands are situated off the west coast of Western Ireland, across the mouth of the Galway Bay, about 30 miles from Galway City, less than seven miles from the nearest point in either County Clare or Connemar. Enos Moore is the largest island at about 900 inhabitants, by far the most populated of the three. It is also the most influenced by the tourist trade. Enos Mean is the middle island and the most untouched, with the fewest number of inhabitants at 200. Enos Orr is the third island and smallest geographically, although it has 100 more inhabitants at 300 than Enos Mean. We're talking about 1,200 people total in three Aran Islands. I have indeed been a rider to the sea myself. But today those ships are tourist boats that plunge none of us into the sea, so I had no need to repeat the lines of Mora, the protagonist from the play. It's a great rest I'll have now, and a great sleeping in the long nights after Sam Hain. If it's only a wee bit of wet flour we do have to eat, and maybe a fish that would be stinking. 
Just so you know, those are not ordinary sweaters you and Michael are wearing. All my best and great for the presence in my daily life. That's beautiful. It's just beautiful. Lyrical. And we get these, and we get these all the time from the larger community of people who, and I've never understood this, come together to listen to this show and have this show in common and pursue those things in their lives that are meaningful to them and are often successful and very intelligent and still come back to this dopey program. And from Wayne Rumsey, I'm a huge fan of the show and would love to share some Virginia-made bourbon with the crew. Full disclosure, I'm affiliated with the company, but this stems from my absolute fandom. I visited during the chatter days and was able to deliver Mr. Tony some coffee ice cream. Alas, tribute must be renewed. Please respond if you think this is appropriate and you are interested. I have multiple bottles and would be happy to deliver them in a socially distanced and responsible manner. Uh, sincerely, Wayne Rumsby. And, and yeah, yeah, sure. I think it's Kodi, K-O-D-I or K-O, uh, no, it's K-O distilling. Uh, co-distilling is, is, is his answer. So we will get to that too. I was, I was going to say that that Havana rum that was given to me many months ago. Is, yeah, I've been checking on that. It's on its last legs because Carol and I drink it every night and we have to go out and buy more liquor as I've become an alcoholic uh, <laughs> during the pandemic. I hope I can stop being Again, it at some please point. please don't joke about that. So, um, you know, this is what's happened. And, and this is the beginning of the show today. And, and it's... How do I say this without sounding too emotional and sappish? It is... An enormous tribute to the show and everything I wanted the show to be that people like it and in some cases love it and listen to it and talk to us about it and talk to us about it. It just it, it creates this spider web that we all can hold on to. We will take a break when we return. Brian Windhorst will join us and, and that will make me very happy. I'm Tony Kornheiser. You're listening to The Tony Kornheiser Show. The Tony Kornheiser Show. This is the policy genius ad. It says, please do not read verbatim. Personalize, rotate, and make your own. And then it says it's the shortest month of the year, meaning you've got slightly less time to check off your February to-dos. How would I make that much? How could I do better than that? I mean, that's <laughs> the point they're trying to... How could, I can't do it better. Do you ever and then, wonder what's the shortest month of the year? It's February. I never wondered about it. I'm smart enough to know. It's February Let's every year. Let's hear your ranking. Longest Fe- to shortest. <laughs> Those with 31 are the longest, but February's always on the bottom. Luckily, Policy Genius can help you till- kill two birds with one stone, compare home and auto insurance rates, and save up to $1,055 a year by reshopping. That's money you can put towards things you care about, whatever that may be. I can't make that any better. I really can't. Head to policygenius.com and answer a few quick questions about yourself and your property. Then Policy Genius takes it from there. They'll compare rates from over 30 top insurers, from progressive to nationwide, to find your lowest quotes. The Policy Genius team will look at all the ways to maximize your savings, including bundling your home and auto policies. And if Policy Genius finds a better rate than what you're paying now, they'll switch you over for free. You know, that's good, tight writing. If you're worried that March is around the corner... And I did parenthetically, I'm not worried about it. And you've barely gotten anything done. Take a deep breath. Policy Genius will help you make the most of this short month in minutes. Just reshop your home and auto insurance. You could save up to $1,055. Head to policygenius.com to get started right now. Policy Genius. When it comes to insurance, it's nice to get it right. This is the Tony Kornheiser Show. 
This is a song called Trouble's Coming. It's from Mad Crush. And John Elderkin writes, you played songs from our first Mad Crush CD a few years ago. We're back with more. Hope it suits. It's an original. I own the copyright. And since you probably don't remember me, let me refresh your memory. I'm a longtime little former AU prof now living in North Chapel Hill, North Carolina. Billboard magazine calls my band Mad Crush, quote, a cross between June Carter and Johnny Cash with songwriter Ray Davies and the Kinks. That seems about right. This song, Trouble's Coming, seems perfectly suited for the last year and can be found along with the album of the same name at all the usual outlets. Thanks to the gang for all the great company over the years, even Saliza, again, John Elderkin, and the band is called Mad Crush, and the song is Trouble's Coming, and it plays in Brian Windhorst, who we haven't talked to in a long time because Brian's specialty wasn't really on the front burner, as we like to say, and now it is because to our great sadness, football is gone. Football, which unites America, is gone. And now we are uh, trifurcated and bifurcated and quadfurcated <laughs> and all things like that. Um, let's, let, let's do big picture things. Let's start with this, Brian. Can you take me through the All-Star Game debate and, and, and what you think this is about? Money. It's about money. That's I mean, what, just, yeah. Okay, right. Yeah. I mean, um, look, uh, ESPN, who we work for, is a partner of the league and relies on having the games on television. I'm not taking a moral high ground, but that's what it is. And the All-Star Game, and particularly All-Star Weekend, is TNT, Turner's, one of their most important moments of the year. And it's about money. And the play, I mean, the players, for every dollar that the league brings in, um, on basketball, the players get 50 cents of it. So if it's a $100 million weekend, I don't know how much it is. I'm just throwing out a number. It's right. $100 million that, that they wouldn't normally have. And, I mean, are they having it in Atlanta because there's some, you know, important thing to have in Atlanta? No, they're having TNT. it in Atlanta because that's where Turner's based and it'll be easier yeah. and safer for their people to operate it out of there. Um, and everybody knows it, and they're going to hold their nose and do it because that's what we're – that's the spot that we're in right now. Well, let me do the small amount of pushback. Baseball didn't have one. Football didn't have one. Hockey's not having one. Basketball, its biggest stars have said, this is not a good idea. We're not sure it's, we should do this at all. And this is a league that is so pious and always talking about how they're not just players. They're not labor. They're our partners. So why aren't you listening to your partners? I mean, I just... I, if all the other leagues turned the, turned their back on this, and the NBA is just doing it for money, why aren't people saying that this is you know bad? Yeah, I, you just said that it's bad. But let me just say this: well, that, I did. You know, LeBron complained about it, but he didn't right. say he wasn't going to go. He so said he would go. He, yeah, yeah, that's right. Because yeah. they are right. You know, and so, like, look, I, I, I'm a realist. At least I try to be. I aspire to be a realist. Um, they're just grabbing the money. And I will say this, that the NBA has, you know, the NHL, I suppose, too. But the NBA has been hit a little harder than the other sports have been um, <clears throat> because it has affected two seasons. And it's a little bit different than what NFL and baseball were looking at. The NHL is in a whole different situation. They've got cross-border problems and all kinds of stuff. So, you know, the other thing is that the players understand, like, they're seeing in their paycheck – um, you know, they're, they're, they're receiving less than their paycheck every, every week now. They see it, um, and they feel it. And uh, last year, by going into the bubble, 
they were able to rescue a huge amount of their pay. And so, I mean, I think that they were, you know, I think this has been instructive for them. They're doing what they have to do to, to, to salvage their paychecks and their contracts. And look, I, I, as long as you understand, as long as everybody understands what it is and, and, and that's the arrangement, uh, that's, that's what we're going to do going forward. They're, they're, they're going to do what they can to chase the money. This is fine. I just, I just get a little tired of the piety from the NBA. I get a little tired of we are the most progressive league. We care more about the players than anyone else. We are the most enlightened league. And oh, then what they're doing okay. is chasing yeah. money. Absolutely. I mean, Adam Silver's number one job is money. And, and if you go look at his decisions as commissioner since he took over, I think it's been seven years. Um, his number one choices, his biggest moves have always been about money. Now, he has done a lot of other things that are on his resume that uh, are worth pointing out. But, um, you know, he's, it's always been the way it's been. And, and if you look at the, you know, the negotiations with the union um, since the beginning of the pandemic, the union has generally let the NBA do what it needs to do. What it needs to do. But I will say this, and this is what the teams say to me, and I don't disagree with this. I mean, they say that in terms of the virus, they're more worried about the guys not going to the All-Star game. They're more worried about the guys who go to the Caribbean who right. go to Miami, who go to Vegas, because the guys at the All-Star right. game are going to be getting tested and they're going to be, you know, kept, you know, distant and all that stuff. Um, I'm worried about everybody else. So, um, you know, I think there's something about the players getting some time off. I also think that it makes you look bad when you say at the beginning of the year you're not going to do it, and then you come back yeah. and decide to do it. I think that's actually the worst part of it. If they had said at the beginning of the year, we're going to have the All-Star game, it wouldn't look like, the naked money grab that it is. You mentioned that um, that the NBA and the NHL have had a certain amount of problems with scheduling games and this overlapping over two seasons now. One of the things I wrote down is it, it has come to me. I, I mean, I'm looking at this now, and I'm thinking the NBA is having fewer problems right now than the NHL with COVID protocols and restrictions and, I wonder, and the virus, and I wondered if you could explain that. They seem to be doing have, a better job. I have no idea what's going on in the NHL, so you're going to, you have to brief me oh. on that. What I, what I would say is that the NBA is tr- trying to limp its way to the vaccine. And, um, you know, they had a rough January where, you know, three or four teams had to shut down. And mm-hmm. they're, they're, they're having to claw back these games. I mean, the poor Wizards, if they haven't had enough, they're trying to claw back these games. Uh, to, to squeeze them onto the schedule, um, and during that time, you know, there was there, there were calls to to <clears throat> to shut the league down, and the NBA was like, "Look, we're just gonna <clears throat> we're gonna get through this problem, and we're gonna be okay on the other side." And frankly, that's what's happened um, over the last four weeks. The number of players who tested positive has gone from sixteen to eleven to zero, and then this last week they had one. So. They are getting through it, and um, the majority of the overall majority of games are getting played. And the, the regional television partners are putting the games on the air. The national television partners are putting the games on the air. The ratings yeah. have been a little bit better than last year, and trending in the right direction. We have a couple of players having spectacular seasons. Steph Curry had another awesome game last night, a forty points, nine threes, and that's nine or ten threes. In that game, um, for all the bad news, 
you know, they think that it's going okay. And, you know, they, the vaccine will be here. And I know that that's a polarizing topic, but uh, when, when 400, you know, if there's, if they can get the 400 guys to take the vaccine, I think we could have a playoffs that is going to be relatively normal. And if the NBA gets that, it will have been a victory, a triumph. Well, I mean, I think the most triumphant thing all year was the NFL going all 16 and, and doing everything they had to do. And I think all the leagues have done well. The NHL right now is in that position. The NBA was a month ago where three and four and five teams are missing three and four and five games. So it's just, you know, they're, they appear to be a little bit behind. Let me go to another broad issue, the national anthem position. Um, what do you make of this? I mean, here's Cuban. Here's Mark Cuban. I don't know how many sides of his mouth he has, but he's got at least two. <laughs> yeah. And, yeah. and he, he very proudly says, it was my decision. I made it in November. We're not going to have the anthem. And then Silver smacked him in the face. And he said, yeah, I will comply. But I think yeah. the larger question is, why did the, why did the NBA take this position publicly? Yeah, that was an, it was an interesting statement that they, that they made, and they made it pretty quickly. Uh, you yes. know, Tony, I, I, I didn't, like, let me be honest with you, I, my job is to monitor the NBA every day, and I spend all day long monitoring the NBA in one form or another. And you didn't I did know. Not, I didn't know, okay? Yeah. So I don't know, Nobody I don't did. know what that says. Yeah. yeah, and it's because we don't have fans. But I don't know what that says. Does that say that it's an outsized importance? Like, my own personal um, feeling I don't care about the national, about, like, like, whatever you want to do, do, you know, I, I just, it's not, it's not a polarizing thing to me, but clearly it's a polarizing thing to many people. Okay. And so, um, and the other thing that the league has, the league has a rule, I believe dating back to the eighties, uh, that's Dave, that David Stern put in long before even Mahmoud Abdul Raouf. Uh, about standing for the anthem, and he sat so down. Co- yeah, yeah. So a couple of, yeah. but but they had a standing rule even before that. Um, I don't know why Stern put it in, but there was a there must have been some reason. So the NBA, dating back to the Colin Kaepernick uh, protests, the NBA had an understanding with its players. They said, "Look, the anthem is a polarizing scenario. Uh, we don't think it's necessarily helpful to uh, you know." create a, a, a attention here. Let's come up with an understanding of ways that, that um, the, the players and the, and the teams can work together to make commentary and talk about social change and, and you can make political statements. And they made an agreement about how to do that and, and, and with, with messages and, and programs long before the pandemic, long before the unfortunate events of last summer. They had that in place, and that uh, kept the national anthem from becoming a polarizing topic, and out of all of the pro- out of all of the issues that the NBA had to deal with on a daily basis, the national anthem was not one of them. It was not generally one of them. Now, when last summer took place and those terrible events, and the bubble happened, the NBA said, "Guys, the situation that we are in right now, do what you need to do. We support you. We 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 back you up." And then the understanding was, when we get to the 2020-21 season, we're going to go back to the way it was. Certainly, you can say whatever you want. You can There are all, all these programs in place, but the national anthem is going to go back to the way it was. And so, in a way, 
while I respect anyone's opinion on, on wanting to protest, by doing this, Cuban kicked, you know, a gas can over. And so yes. I, think what the, I think what the NBA is trying to do is say, remember what we have in place. Let's use the things that have been working. Let's not create another uh, brush fire. And so that is why I believe Mark Cuban backed down as fast as he did, because I don't think he had the support um, uh, within the mm-hmm. league at all, especially at this time when fans are coming back in and they're just starting to get the, the, the modicum of traction. I just I find it amazing. I mean, I look at Mike, and, and we did the show yesterday, and, and he was praising, or two days ago when we did it, um, just praising Mark Cuban as somebody that needs to be listened to. And I thought, my God, here's Cuban doing an incendiary thing, and then his hands are slapped and he says, oh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'll never do it again. And you go, well, what did he exactly stand for? He stood only for his own convenience as far as I was concerned, though I did not admittedly say that on the air. But I also was told that if, you have a rule, but if people if people want to kneel, as is their constitutional right, boys and girls, of course, um, of course. Th- there's no punishment at all. So, but I, Tony, you know, I, I mean, it's, it's as I, if... I, I, it, go ahead. I gave you a very politically correct answer there, trying not to get in trouble. I, honestly, yeah. I don't care what anybody... I don't care what anybody does during the anthem. I don't care whether the anthem happens. I don't care whether it doesn't yeah, happen. Me too. I don't care whether yeah. it happens while the players are in the back. I don't care if you kneel. I don't care if you stand... I don't, me personally, I don't think doing what you're doing with the national anthem has to do with my grandfather and my uncle who fought in World War II. I don't personally see the connection, but if my neighbor sees the connection, then that's okay. I don't feel passionate about it, but obviously you have to be a fool to not recognize it as something that people feel very passionately about, and everybody has to take that into account as they approach that issue. Okay, let me get to something much more fun. At what point will Kyrie Irving sabotage the Nets and destroy this season? Has it? (laughs) Um, You know, the thing with Kyrie, I have made a decision that I'm really only going to evaluate Kyrie Irving in that rectangle on the court. Um, I tell this story, and if I told it to you before, you can stop me and cut this out. But three, four years ago, in the middle of August, I went to North Dakota, Tony, Cannonball, North Dakota, to the Standing Rock Sioux uh, Native American Reservation. Uh, Kyrie's mother was a member of that tribe. She was adopted as a, as a, as a baby and was raised by two uh, white uh, Lutheran ministers, to be honest with you. Um, but her, her heritage is of that Native American tribe, and mm-hmm. Kyrie was coming back to be inducted with a formal uh, uh, tribal name into the tribe. And I spent a whole day there, and uh, these people had nothing. There were these kids that were, you know, had nothing. And Kyrie spent all this time all day there. I mean, can you imagine, you know, you're living in North Dakota. You know, it's hard scrabble at best. Not only does this, does this guy represent your tribe, wears the, the, the symbol of the tribe on his shoes, has a tattoo on the neck, that you can watch him on national television, but comes and then shakes your hands and wants to meet you. I mean, it's great. It's great. I've seen that Kyrie. Okay. Mm -hmm. And I've seen Kyrie do some other things that I think are absolutely beyond selfish and baffling. And so I'm just going to say that I can't, uh, decipher what's going on with that guy off the court. So I'm not going to try. I'm only going to judge 
the rectangle out there. And the reality is, is he's very difficult to count on. He, I really think his nickname should be LaGuardia. Because, you know, back when I used to fly, when the, the, when the sky is clear and there's no wind, there's no problem with LaGuardia. Planes come in and out, everything's fine. But my God, a cloud passes in front of the sun, you're going to be waiting on the tarmac for an hour and 45 minutes, coming or going. That's the thing with Kyrie. When everything's sunny and clear, he's a breathtaking player. Oh, my God. Uh, his abilities in the open court are unmatched. His ability to, to stand and look at four guys in front of him in a tie game with 15 seconds on the clock and somehow get a basket is just one of the greatest I've ever seen. He's just a breathtaking player. But it's like everything's got to be aligned. And if it's not aligned, he's off. He's injured. He's got some sort of thing. He's he's burning incense or, you know, his, you know, remember, <laughs> you know, uh, from the Bull Durham movie, Ebby, Luke Lelouch, his shockers yeah. scammed or whatever. Like, yeah. everything's yeah. got to be perfect. And that's not the NBA. The season's too long and, and playoff series are too messy. Um, I look at them and I say there are times when their offense is the most devastating-looking offense I have ever seen in my life. Yeah. Uh, they have three of the greatest isolation players in the history of the game. I honestly believe that. And in the, in the NBA playoffs, isolation players rule the, rule the game. And so part of me looks at this and says, that's a championship team. And then other parts of me look at the way Kyrie plays, where, where he's completely not interested, um, or his, 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 their defensive effort is an absolute joke. And I say, this team won't win one playoff round. And so, therefore, I, I have no clue what's going to happen with that team. I, I will sit here and acknowledge that they could win it and acknowledge they could go out in the first round. And me trying to guess what's, what, what's on Kyrie Irving's mind today, tomorrow, or next week is foolish. So I wish Steve Nash and Sean Marks the absolute best. I hope they have a wonderful playoff series and a wonderful playoff run. I have no freaking idea what's going to happen with that guy, and I wish them luck. What a pleasure to have you back. Thank you, Brian. We'll talk soon. Thank have you very weekend, much. Tony. Take care. Brian Take Windhorse, time. boys and girls. He's just terrific. Just <laughs> terrific. We're going to come back with Jeannie and Tori and a news segment. Yes? Am I right on that? That I is think correct. I'm right on that. All right. Yep. I'm Tony Kornheiser. You're listening. You're listening to the Tony Kornheiser Show. We have a new sponsor of the show, Michelob Ultra. So I'd like to celebrate their joining us. You know, beer is synonymous with celebrating after a big win. It goes hand in hand with the joy that athletes experience from victory. Because of that, there is a perception that happiness and beer only come at the end of a journey, only come after the grind, after the hard work, after the win. Michelob is setting out to dismantle that perception. By partnering with some of the greatest athletes and proven winners of all time, they are demonstrating that happiness comes before the victory and that joy is a crucial ingredient on the road to success. Even the greatest athletes in the world choose to take time off the court or field to unplug, to have a beer with friends, and find balance. Michelob is not discounting the hard work and commitment that it takes to become a world-class athlete and win championships, but they firmly believe that enjoyment and balance are crucial components of the winning formula. It's not just about professional athletes. Everyone out there should know that they can and should enjoy themselves on the road to success in life, and that they should permit themselves to have fun, smile more, and have a beer with friends, like having a Michelob Ultra. 
95 calories, 2.6 grams of carbs. It's only worth it if you enjoy it. This is the Tony Kornheiser Show. This is called Hang Up, and it's written by Tommy Renfro from Indiana University East, a visiting lecturer in the School of Education, writes, as a proud little and former Jingles feature on the program, I want to brag a bit on my former student and golfer, Knox Morris. After a 30-0 state basketball championship as a junior in high school and a successful senior campaign on court and the course at Tri-Village Local Schools in New Madison, Ohio, Knox sat in my anatomy and physiology classroom and said, Coach, I'm not sure what I'm going to do. Sports are done for me. He proceeded to inquire about my music and asked me if I could help him learn to fill that void by playing guitar. After a month or so, he was already better than me. Fast forward two years and Knox was asking to open summer concerts for me. I called my wife after the first show and I said, the kid has the it factor. So I drove him to my friends in Nashville. Now he's been beating the pavement in Nashville for two years and is grinding like King James. Shout out from Knox to his favorite player. It would be an honor and a privilege to hear Knox's brand new single hang up on the podcast. You can stream and download wherever you get the music. Sincerely a proud former teacher and coach. Isn't that, that's lovely. Um, again, it's called Hang Up. Uh, it's Knox Morris and Michael. If people like Knox Morris want their original music played on this show, how do they go about it? Send us your music by emailing it to jingles at tonyquinezershow.com. All right, so we're going to now do news. And we've got Gene and we've got Tori. And Nigel is the MC. And Nigel throws the topics out and we all don't have to compete. So, Nigel, go ahead and don't don't think that your job is on the line. Whenever you is. introduce him like this, I just imagine him in a tuxedo. Yeah, well, well, I, I am. am. Yeah. Yeah. I am. Yeah. Well, tuxedo T-shirt, you know, that's how I like to wear. Nice. Say classy, yes. Um, we will start off with the Washington football team, Mr. Tony. Um, yes. the, the cheerleaders who had appeared in lewd videos that team employees secretly produced from outtakes of the 2008 and 2010 swimsuit calendar On shoots. the command of Larry Michael, as the story yes. pointed out, right? As the story yes. pointed out, yes, that he did that and said, this is for Dan Snyder. Dan both, Snyder. Both Which Snyder is in dispute. Yes, yeah, which they is both deny, right. Yeah, they both right. deny that. Right. But uh, but the team has uh, reached settlements with those cheerleaders involved in this. Uh, settle, details of those settlements have not been revealed. I'm not sure they will be. Um, and in sort of a, an inclusion in this story, uh, it appears that the cheerleader program in general with the Washington football team is on pause and its future is very much uncertain. Uh, at, at this point, as they as they say, they're they're rebranding the entire game day experience. And part of that is looking at the cheerleader programming and I guess determining whether they want to move forward with it uh, as they continue. Gene, Tori, go oh, ahead. No, they're going to have cheerleaders. They just have to figure out what their name is and then have cheerleader costumes that reflect that name, which reminds me that in the 1960s, when I first started going to Redskins games, the cheerleaders ooh, were dressed ooh. like Washington was. football team games. We all make that mistake, but go ahead. Yes, the cheerleaders. Well, well, this is how you know horrible it was. The cheerleaders were dressed like squaws, with little <laughs> fringed dresses, and every single one of them had a wig with black pigtails and a headband. Ooh, no! Isn't that horrible? You think they'll have cheerleaders? See, I think cheerleaders are done. I think they're I, done. But isn't the isn't the transition already underway on college campuses? I mean, they moved to dance teams. I don't think they even call them cheerleaders, and they moved to dance teams. And I know at some schools, I know GW and Georgetown, for instance, have been talking the last couple of years about not having them at all. This I think the they're going to go away. There are yeah. going to be scantily clad women on the sideline. Okay, it's just going to happen. 
Yeah, Here's but my feeling. The wives. That won't be the cheerleaders anymore, Gene. <laughs> that would be hysterical. <laughs> here is it, Jerry Jones's wife at Dallas Cowboy cheerleader would be great. Um, here is here is my feeling about this, and and I, I'm going to have to dodge when you throw stones at me. That suddenly, the Washington Football Team has become almost a model franchise. They have um, hired a woman to be their director of communications. Their coach is Latin. Um, their general, not their, their general manager, Martin Mayu, is black. Their team president is black. They have cleaned up this stuff, the cheerleader stuff. None of this can be attached to Dan Snyder. I believe that in a very short amount of time and in a very strange way, people are going to start to point to this franchise and say, that's what franchises should be. Do you dis? I think you would probably disagree, Jean. No, I want to. I want to wait and see what the Beth Wilkinson report says, which yes, Cadell yes. keeps telling us is nearing completion, which has been nearing completion for quite a while. But you know, I, I, I see what you're saying, Tony. But to me, I'm very cynical about this team. It seems like a lot of show off, overcompensating for okay, years yes. of thuggish behavior yeah I, yeah I, I agree yeah. I think they're they're taking some good steps and some good actions but I think it still remains to, to be seen if they're really changing but I, I think you can't you can't ignore two things one was when Beth Wilkinson who is a first-rate lawyer she all of a sudden she's not working for the Washington football team she's working for the NFL I think that got Dan Snyder's attention big time. And shout out to Liz Clark and her colleagues at the Washington Post who have done phenomenal reporting on this. I think that also really got his attention. And that's why you're seeing so many of these steps not being kicked and and dragged down to do some of these things. I think that's why you've seen so much action very recently. So what I would say to you, go ahead, Gene, but just let me make this one point. Liz Clark and her colleagues, Will Hobson and others, will find out the details of this settlement Rather quickly. Yeah. 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 My, my response to you, Gene, is, is that you are right, and everybody in this area knows that. But if you aren't from this area and they just give you a picture of the team right now, other yeah. teams in other cities would say, wow, look at that. Look yeah. at that. All right, Nigel, yeah. what else? Patrick Cantley, in his own words, is in kind of a groove right now. After he shot a uh, 10 under 62 in the first round of the AT&T Pebble Beach Pro-Am. And I guess the round that he'd shot before that was a 61, and then a two-week break before the, um, the Pebble Beach Pro-Am. But uh, he is off to a, a very good start in that tournament. So I'm not going to get into the golfing aspect of this, but I'm going to get into the scenic aspect of this. If anyone has ever watched, and it's on every year, the Pebble Beach Tournament, it is so gorgeous. It is so beautiful. It's not that it makes you want to play golf as much as it makes you just want to go there and stand there and look at it. Have, have either of you been to Pebble Beach by any chance? Yeah. One of the most beautiful no. places I've, I've ever stood. And you're right. Yeah. You, just, you, you stand and you look around and then you turn and you see another great view and you turn again and you see another spectacular view. It's, it's pretty special. Number seven tee box right there. Yeah, that's the that's the short drop hole. Drop down par three. Yeah, but what about when you're up on the ridge on the par five? Correct. Yeah, it's yeah. the stretch of it's, six through ten, and you have number eight in there, which might be the most perfect two shot in all of golf. It's just so beautiful. It's really is, it is that it beautiful. Is it a yeah. challenging course? 
Well, so for this me, is, this everything. is a course that, that plays for general open play all year long. It can be as hard as they want, and, and they have to try and protect that. So they thought they are going to have some bad weather, and traditionally you, you see them try and protect it if they think it's going to be a really hard weekend. But these first two rounds are played over normally over a few courses. This year I think it's just the two because of the COVID restrictions. And normally you have very slow rounds because of amateurs. You don't have the AMs playing in the Pro-Am this year, so they actually played pretty quickly, and mm. I think – they didn't get the weather they thought they might have had, so the course played a little soft. Uh, but ten under is pretty deep. It's it's impossible not to not to think about who is not there, which is there are no top ten players in the world at one of the most recognizable courses in the world. Patrick Cantley's number eleven, but then you have to look down the list and say, are we seeing the return again? It comes back to Jordan Spieth, uh, poster boy for AT and T. Nice sort of synergy there, but can he continue with that uh, that seven under start? Okay, Nigel. Cool. Uh, we will take you to Australia, Mr. Tony, with the Australian Open. And by the way, I thought I was going to have a terrific upset to report to you. Um, but just moments ago, number one seed Novak Djokovic was able to pull out a five-set win against young American Taylor Fritz. Although sure. apparently Djokovic is uh, a little banged up, and it looked like Fritz was going to win that match. But Djokovic, who has won that tournament eight times before, moves I'm on. I'm not a fan. Yeah. I'm not a fan of his. Well, so what is he, the story? Yeah. The story he, isn't that. What is the story? No. The story is, is that tennis fans will be locked out of the Australian Open for the next five days. There's a five-day lockdown in the state of Victoria um, as the... Um as the, the government moves to stage four restrictions, place the state back into lockdown for a minimum of five days, meaning that fans would not be able to attend the Australian Open until at least the quarterfinal stage in week two. This is because there's been now been, I think, 19 active cases um, in that region. And so they are they are reacting very um, swiftly and firmly to uh, to sort of shut this thing down. I don't know if that's COVID absolutism, but it certainly is a swift move to try and keep this thing in check. What do you make of this? Doesn't this put a huge uh, doubt over the Olympics, which are, what, four months from now, four and a half months from now? Because I, I had heard, I don't know if it was true or not, but I had heard a lot of people in the sports world, a lot of people, NBC, et cetera, were looking at this as the, one of the first big major events to occur and see how did it go and can we pull off the Olympics. So I see this and go, wow, doesn't look good. I, I think now anytime you buy a ticket to any sporting event for months to come, you have to assume that the rug could get pulled out from under you. I mean, we, we just still don't know. You know, even with vaccinations getting improved and improved and improved, we st we still don't know what's going to happen down the road. So, I mean, so I, I, I don't. I have a very tiny violin that I'm playing for the people who bought tickets and can't see the Australian Open. It's very, very tiny. So what I would say about this is Australia was one of those places that prohibited people from coming in. And they thought they had beaten the virus with, with a very harsh policy. And then you bring these people in for the tennis, and some of them carry it into your country. Because if I understand correctly, the incidents of the virus were in the hotel where so many of these people were staying. And now it just shows you that if you if if you want to maintain the policy of no virus, you just can't let people in in this manner. Um, am, am I being too much of an alarmist here? Because I think I'm I think I'm dovetailing on what you said, Tori. That in the Olympics, you may be able to protect the athletes, but if you have people coming in, you're not going to be able to protect yeah. your general population. 
So if you were an athlete, would you want to go on with the Olympics without any fans? If I were an athlete and I had a chance to win an Olympic gold medal and they told me the price I paid was no fans, I would do it in a heartbeat. Would yeah. you? Sure. Yeah. But you know what's interesting? Look at all of these variants. There's one from South Africa. There's one from right. Britain. So on an international stage, you're bringing people from countries all yes. over the world. They yes. might be bringing their own variants with them. Yeah. Yes. That's exactly what I think. That's so. You know, to me, this is this. I, I don't want to get too carried away. This is actually disheartening because yeah. they were really yeah. gung ho to put fans out there and show we've we've done this the correct way. This is disheartening. Yeah, what agree. else you got? Uh, are you familiar with the name Yuri Andre, Mister Tony? No, uh, Yuri Gagarin is the only Yuri I know. I'm familiar with Yuri <laughs> Yes, you might be familiar with his body. He is the Super Bowl streaker, uh, or was the Super Bowl streaker. Uh, Um, uh. And apparently there was a prop bet um, from the uh, the Bovada, which I guess is is, a sportsbook organization. Um, And uh, you could bet whether there will be a streaker during the the Super Bowl. So Andre saw this apparently and got together with a friend of his, and they made bets saying, yes, there will be a streaker. They had tickets to the game. Oh, yeah, because it was them. So then they bragged on a radio station saying, yeah, we place bets and, you know, we well, won you can't, 300. Okay, you can't win. Yeah. You can't win. You manipulated <laughs> right. it. You can't win. Yeah. You're an they idiot. Said that- they manipulated it. The bet was whether or not there will be a streaker. It, wa- it wasn't who's the streaker or is the streaker betting on it. In many ways, it feels like a challenge, you know, to yeah. people. And that, that's how Andre put it. He was apparently had won $374,000. But Bovada now is saying that, oh, listen, we'll, we'll honor the, the no votes would, would be refunded. And all the legitimate, yes, there will be a streaker uh, bets would be paid out. But we're going to take a look at this particular thing and possibly not pay out to Mr. Andre. So That's terrible. He totally all I can say is Mr. Andre's rear end is an image I would like to un- <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. But it by the way, one I, of the greatest play-by-plays ever heard in the last few I years. I just got a note. I got a note from Tracy. I just got this note. Mazza Gallery's closed for good. Oh Mazza Gallery's That's really closed ago, for good? Oh, well, I just got the note. I just found out. <laughs> I feel bad. So the movie theaters are closed and the Saks has left and there's... and. The Crone Chocolatier is gone. I used to love to go there. What yeah. are they going to do with you're, that? You're dating magic? yourself. This is like 25 years old. Oh, yeah. okay. I, is Boy it going to be condos? Bluemonger's hanging there's on. A, there's and... a great restaurant space just directly across Wait, is the, the McDonald's there? Is the McDonald's there going to be closed too? I would think That's so. It's closed? Yeah. All of it, yeah. Well, I'm a little late to this get one. off the school bus going to do? All right, what else you got, Nigel? Well, have you, have you heard the story about the Gorilla Glue fiasco? And you tell the tell the women this because they're going to love this story. All right. So there's, there was a woman by the name of, of Tesca Brown, and apparently she did not have hairspray. And so she thought, well, necessity is the mother of invention. I've got this Gorilla Glue. It'll hold my hair in place, and then I can just wash it out. Well, <laughs> turns out you can't do that. Uh, and this all went viral. There were like 24 million views because she, of course, did this on Instagram or Twitter or something like that. So people are just like, oh, my goodness. And then she basically had a hair helmet. It just wouldn't come out, and no matter what she tried, she was getting desperate. Um, the good news she is she was getting desperate. Wait, wait, she was getting desperate. <laughs> she put gorilla glue in her hair. Yes, she's an idiot. I know. 
<laughs> well, yes, yes. Right? Um, Gorilla Glue is like, please do not use this for this sort of things. But the good news is, she she um finally uh, got in touch with a, a, a plastic surgeon in Hollywood, uh-huh. uh, and, and he's been able to remove that four hour procedure. There's this great video of her running her hair fingers through her hair, just like, oh my goodness, I finally have my hair back. So that is a wonderful ending to that story. Any um, damage to her scalp? Nerve damage? Uh, yeah, that's what appear to be. However. There's a man. And there's, I'm more. Trying, there is more. <laughs> there's the more to the story. Uh, Louisiana man. Um, I'm trying to get his name right now. By the James name Carville. Of, <laughs> it's not James Carville. <laughs> Lynn Martin no. thought that this was all a big hoax. He's like, no, it didn't really happen. And so he went on social media with a plastic cup and some Gorilla Glue, as he called it, the Gorilla Glue Plastic Cup Challenge, and then glued the cup to his lip to try and prove to people that hey, it's really not that big a deal. Then he yeah, had to go to the emergency no. room, and they've been unable to remove it. He's now saying wow. that they may have to cut the tips of my lips off in surgery. Please pray for <gasps> me uh, and oh. don't do this. This is not a challenge you want to try. I can only imagine the people at Gorilla Glue like talk to the legal team. like, look, we've really got to revamp the things you can't do with Gorilla Glue. Just basically everything because people are just morons. So. Wait, wait, wait. In other words, you need to write on a tube of Gorilla Glue. <laughs> don't put this on your lips or in your hair. No, you don't. It's glue. It's glue. Am so. I wrong on this? <laughs> I, I want to really call those people really stupid. They probably don't know how to read. But does anybody remember the Gorilla Glue ads where the guy would put the glue on top of the helmet? He was like a construction worker guy. And he oh, put the glue cra- on top no, that was of crazy the glue. That was crazy was glue. Crazy where glue? He, okay. Yeah. That's the one, one of my sisters and I saw that. And we went, well, that's a spectacular idea. And there were these <laughs> rotten old beams in our garage. And we went out there. I don't think it was a construction helmet. It was something else. A baseball helmet or something. And we tried it and we, we failed. The, the glue stuck, but the beam collapsed. And there were not serious injuries, but... So, so wait, so stupid. you were going, you, you tried to glue yourself to a beam, like off the, the surface of the land, like to just hang there yes, it was by a hat? 10, 10 feet in the air, and we were probably four feet tall at the time. We probably climbed up there somehow and tried to hold on, and the, the glue stuck, but the beam just came crashing down. So and you I fell because you fell to... Gene, yeah. your position on this? <laughs> well... <laughs> I, I thought perhaps everybody could go back to the ice bucket challenge or swallow a goldfish or something a little less harmful. Yeah. I love the ice bucket Or lick a, lick a flagpole like Flick in A Christmas Story. Just go lick a flagpole. Yeah, uh, okay. That was good. Okay. That was good news. Good news. Thanks, everybody. Thanks, everybody. Miss you. Bye. Bye. Okay, bye. Okay, bye. We're going to have uh, email and jingle when we return. I am Tony Kornheiser. You're listening to The Tony Kornheiser Show. Pissing and moaning and renting and raving, yelling and screaming. Each day starts anew. When will he come after you? So if Or dining, or clothing, promoting. Yeah, he's loaded, but trust me, this dude, he loves free wares. And he's so afraid to fly across a bridge or swim. Things scare a man. 
That's KJ. That is brilliant and beautiful. She's such a good singer. Great production. It's Dusty mm-hmm. Springfield's song. It's just so good. Thank you so very, very much. Nigel, you want to do the Bethesda Bagel ad? Yes, Bethesda Bagels. We love them. You will as well. All you need to do is go to BethesdaBagels.com for the location in the D.C. area nearest you. Then stop on in and you will be thrilled. That just about does it for us today. Before we get to the mailbag, let me just say the poor cook, he caught the fits, threw away all my grits, and then he took and he ate up all of my corn. Let me go home. Why don't they let me go home? This is the worst trip I've ever been on. Um, that's Sloop John B. And the Beach Boys did a great version of that about 50 years ago. Thanks to our guests today, Brian Windhorst, Jeannie McManus, Tori Clark. Thanks as well to our sponsors, Policy Genius and Michelob Ultra Pure Gold. Remember, you can listen to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, Radio.com. If you get the show through iTunes, please leave us a review. Let's read some of these from Josh Butters in Fresno, California. I want to thank you for all our impending doom. When detailing you helping Michael with his car issues, you gave precise directions to the location of John Connor. Who knew that after saving the world from homicidal robots, he'd hide up at a gas station in D.C.? While the Terminator couldn't find him, after all this time, he made sure anyone not wearing two million sunblock is going to have a real bad day. Did Kevin's forecast include nuclear fallout? Hasta la vista, Tony. From Bill Isaacson, I just want to follow up on the corner of Nevada and Broad Branch. That's a very busy intersection in ordinary times, but I guess not in these days in the hour before the podcast. But I wonder why Michael did not step out of the car and yell, I am Michael Kornheiser. I need help to get to the podcast. There must be any number of DC Littles in that neighborhood who could have come to help. I know for a fact that Ross Cooper, a a loyal podcast follower, used to live in the Blue House on the corner of Nevada and Broad Branch. I'm sure Ross is angry and disappointed that he moved before he could help Michael. I was also surprised what you left out of the neighborhood. Around the corner from Michael's breakdown, yes, there was John Connor's BP. There's also Comet Ping Pong and Bucks Fishing and Camping, where thanks to Alex Jones and the internet and the Pizzagate delusion, every server has been targeted with death threats. We live in special times. But on the same block, you left out politics and prose, which you mm. love so much as a place to park your bicycle on in the rain. <laughs> the best is on Nebraska, half a block from where I am. I, I know that there is a listener, and I just thought it's too early to knock on the door. Oh. <laughs> Mike Penn from the United States Embassy in Khartoum. Greetings from Khartoum, Sudan on the banks of the Nile River. I was listening to your Wednesday podcast, almost choked with laughter, when you said, if I was down to one question for Peter Asher, I would ask, did you sense you were in the company of genius? I thought for a brief moment the sentence would end there, referring to yourself, of course, and burst into laughter. You then did go on to finish with either Paul or John or Paul alone or together. I think the question would have been just as appropriate as I first heard it. Perhaps that could be your second question to ask, Mr. Asher. By the way, uh, Peter Asher and I are still in our dating phase. We have not talked yet. But I sent him another email last night in which I said that the only person, while I have met a lot of people in the music business in my life who are managers or performers, uh, the only person that I knew well in the music business was, of course, my high school classmate, Jimmy Steinman, who played the violin when he was in high school. And I, you know, I haven't gotten a response yet from Peter. I gotta believe he knows who Jimmy is, right? He's gotta yeah, know. Yeah, but he has to cool. share. He has to share his response first with a couple of friends to get it vetted, <laughs> make sure it's good. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. From Scott Beckett in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Dear Tony, your son is an absolute saint. I hope you realize that from Wednesday's pod, we recall this exchange as you waxed fondly (laughs) about the possibility of meeting Peter Asher. Michael, can I share my idea now? Tony, sure. Michael, 
I want you to get on his Beatles radio show and do two hours and go beyond the Beatles and really go into his life, go into the records, because you're always mentioning the producers, the record labels themselves, and what these records look like. And I think that'd be a really cool listen. Tony, I, it might in the sense that because I'm trained to be a reporter, that training does kick in subconsciously. I could ask him questions, which probably doesn't happen to him very often. Michael with a stunned pause and incredulous stare. Did you ever listen to the show? I just suggested that. Alas, Michael didn't actually say that last part because he's a saint and because he loves you. I mean, he got a cameo. He got you a cameo from Peter. No, he didn't. Nigel got the cameo from Peter Ashton. Shelling out that say. kind of money. Keep doing what you do, Tony and team. You make the days better. From Tom Tabatowski in, in um, Chicago. My friend David Davis and I are loyals, and we were so charmed by your Peter Asher experience that we decided to get an Asher cameo for our friend Mark, a musical nerd. We signed up, and within eight hours, eight hours, we had our video. And Tony, it was even more gracious, funnier, wittier, and just plain nicer than you described. We laughed all evening. Thank you so much. One problem. Our friend Mark is even more of a cyber troglodyte than you and just was not able to open the video. And we tried every way short of driving to his house in Kentucky. Do you have any other investment ideas that David and I can get behind? Say maybe joining with you to open up a restaurant named Rechattered or perhaps a Subaru dealership in Jacksonville? The possibilities are endless. From Carla Corrado, I can't believe you let this one get by. Richard Justice, lamenting how he's been employed his entire life, described a first job working for his father who ran a store that was a hardware store, a meat market, and I worked in that thing every day. Hardware and meat? Did he have to know how to cut a flank steak and cut keys? Give advice about barbecue rubs and drill bits? What meat pairs with a dry Chardonnay and a socket wrench? Please get Richard back for some buster-only dairy cow-like interrogation. That's probably right. Right? That's yeah. probably right. I should do that. Yeah. One more from Vinny and Liz, sent by Vinny Greco. Longtime listener and fan, the woman to whom I'm related by engagement, a fantastic director of choirs and musical theater at the school in which we both work, has for the course of many years refused to join the ranks of Loyal Littles. I try everything to highlight the commonalities between the TK show and my fiance, Liz. Tony loves Broadway. He made a reference to Pinafore today. Or Michael was riding his Peloton to the Wicked soundtrack. How cool. No dice. I've also tried to make inroads with her affinity for grilled cheese sandwiches. Liz is seven months pregnant, often requests grilled cheese. Not unlike Michael's Liz, she also enjoys them when I butter the bread, refusing to accept the superiority of mayonnaise on the bread. Another thought line, another connection, yet she refuses to sit with me and listen. It's probably because of Sir Liz's loud yap, but I digress. On this weekend's golf outing, however, I had one more ace up my sleeve. As we approached the 10th tee, I reached into my golf bag and I pulled out the all-natural and undoubtedly nutritious king of golf sustenance, the Payday Candy Bar. As Liz rode next to me in the golf cart and remarked how much she enjoyed the payday and how perfect it was for a day of golfing, I let her in on my little secret. You know, gave me the idea? Mr. Tony Kornheiser. She nodded approvingly and she said, okay, I totally get it. He's awesome. Liz, begrudgingly though it may be, is now a loyal little and knows all too well the importance of using the code. Thanks for all of the funny moments and our shared experience of golfing with family and chowing down on paydays. If you're out on your bike tonight, everyone, as always, do wear white. I think the young people enjoy it when I get down verbally, don't you?
different This time we'll learn from the past all we can This time I'll slow down and listen This time the shit won't hit the fan Well, I got a woman I got a man What makes two people start again I got a man I got a woman
But now you're way too deep I low-key hate it when you call I don't know myself at all You said you'd never fall But now you're way too deep I low-key hate it when you call So what if I 